From the Spec Network, this is Fragmented, an Android developer podcast where we talk about building good software and becoming better developers. I'm Don Felker. And I'm Kaushik Gopal. Welcome to the show. This episode of Fragmented is brought to you by educative.io. Now, there are a lot of websites out there that help you teach programming courses, but one thing most of them tend to do is focus on video, so they're all video-based. Educative.io takes a very different approach. Uh, to them, they go the text-based route. That means you don't necessarily have to like scrub back and forth to follow along, say, you know, you're going through a video and someone just blows past a certain section and then you're going back wait 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 what did they say exactly and you rewind then open up a notepad to take notes you don't have to do any of that with educative.io because it's text-based think of it as like almost reading a book if you're reading a book it's pretty easy to skim back uh, or double back and just easily skim through in addition to a, a whole bunch of amazing courses out there here's the kicker if you're an android developer they just launched a killer android course called modern android app development it's perfect just go back refresh your memory and go through the educative course it has a fully functional live android emulator so you can actually create and deploy your app right from within the course you'll get a live link to the app that you can share with friends or even you know put up on your portfolio if you start looking for jobs Check it out now and get an additional 10% off your purchase if you go through this special link, educative.io slash fragmented. Once again, that's educative.io, E-D-U-C-A-T-I-V-E, in case you didn't catch the spelling, educative.io slash fragmented. Thanks again for sponsoring this show, Educative. Kaushik, another day here in quarantine land. How you doing? Pretty good, pretty good. Uh, all things considered, like, you know, it goes in waves. Some days are okay. You're like, oh, it's not bad. And some days are just, oh, my God, what is happening to the world? <laughs> exactly. So, but you know, I think um, one of the things that I've found comforting over the past six, I don't know, seven weeks, I've been I'm day 45 for me, so whatever that is, um, is the ability to listen to some of my favorite podcasts. And so um, I'm very grateful for the fact that that they are exist and I'm happy that we can be there for other folks who listen to our podcast. And if you are listening to our podcast and you're in quarantine or whatever, or lockdown, uh, thanks for listening. We appreciate it. And we, we hope we're providing some value for you and uh, getting some good information. I mean, speaking about good shows, one of the shows that really I thought was a good one and the one that we enjoyed doing uh, was the one with Leland. Yeah, yeah, if you that remember was great. on Jetpack Compose. Mm-hmm. And so we thought, what, like, you know, let's let's lift people's spirits up and bring Leland back to the show. And so without further ado, we have Leland today. Welcome to the show. Hey, guys. How's it going? I'm happy to be here. Yeah. Welcome back to the show, I should yeah, say. Yeah, welcome back. <laughs> yeah. Uh, so Leland, uh, obviously in this episode, we thought we'll touch, uh, we'll definitely touch on compose but the the thing i wanted to point out to folks is uh just one of these uh, in the last week i happened to watch your uh talk at android dev summit 2019 we'll post a link to that in the show notes and i must say that was like mm-hmm. one of the best talks i've seen like you know it just a you take 
relatively complex concepts like you start off with the easy stuff and then you know you kill that in that you presented really well and then you talk about some really complex things and how like jetpack composer was inspired by these concepts uh and how you apply those as well right and i must i must say this is one of my favorite talks the ones you gave at dev summit so we were hoping maybe we can like pick your brains a little but also in general we're really inspired by the way you operate as a software engineer and like in mm-hmm. this podcast we're trying to like branch out and also like talk about these things and how can we give our listeners more information so that they can become not just better android developers but better developers in general so we thought we'll pick your brains a little today yeah wow starting off with such high praise uh, <laughs> I, I appreciate that um yeah that that talk was a lot of fun to give it, it was um it, it, it was kind of crazy, actually. It started off as what was supposed to be a, a 20-minute talk. And, and uh, like two days before the, the conference, they're like, hey, do you think you can fill 40 minutes? And I'm like, uh, oh, sure. Wow. <laughs> <laughs> oh my God. Um, but yeah, I mean, I, I, you know, talking at conferences is something that I'm, I, I really enjoy doing. And I, I, I don't know if I'm particularly good at it, but it's something I'd like to get better at. Um, but I do really enjoy the process and enjoy uh, explaining concepts to people. I think that um, it's one of the things that really helps me. Like, I, I think being able to explain a concept is one of the best ways to learn that concept. And um, that, that may sound weird, like learn the concept that I'm you know, kind of preaching, but it, it, it is like a really good way to formulate uh, a, a really kind of solid mental model in your head is, is to try and explain it as simply as possible to other people. I mean, stop it. You are amazing at giving talks. So uh, <laughs> I will start by saying that. But where did that come from, if I may ask? Because I mean, again, uh, you work at Google right now. And before this, you were at Airbnb, right? Uh, so clearly, there's there's something that you've developed which has given you like a very good, a strong software engineering background, right? Uh, you talked about like giving talks as something that you liked. Where did that come? Where did that stem from? Is that something that you've always just wanted to do? Or did you notice that you started with like some talks and then that helped you understand the concepts better? Like where does that aspect come from? Yeah. Uh, well, so I, I mean, I think I've always kind of wanted to be a teacher of sorts. Um you know, but before going into software engineering, I was actually very strongly considering uh, becoming a, a, a professor of physics. Oh wow! But uh, all, like all through college, for instance, I um, I did a lot of like TAing and and like homework sessions and stuff like that, and I just I really enjoy uh, explaining things to people. Um, and, and, you know, teaching people in that way. And so that that's sort of like a natural outlet uh, to do that in the context of software engineering. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I kind of ever since I started doing software uh, professionally, I, I tried to um, do some talks, but, you know, I think until, until the past couple of years, those were largely kind of unnoticed talks that, that, uh, you know, local meetups and, and things like that. Um, and, and then I, you know, started speaking at some bigger venues, but, um, you know, public speaking, I think has actually always been a bit difficult for me. And so it's, uh, it's one of the things that I like to, to get better at, but, um, teaching on the other hand has always come naturally. Um, and so the, the best way for me to give a good talk, I think is to just forget that there's, 
you know, a bunch of people watching and, and more just think of it like I'm trying to explain it to one person. Yes, exactly. That's something I also believe in heavily. It doesn't matter if there's, you know, five people there or 500. To me, I'm the same way. If I, if I can teach something to one person and they leave and they get something out of it, then my job's done and I'm happy. Yeah. That's awesome. So I, I try to think with Jetpack Compose, if I were to like build like a library like Jetpack Compose, that would be pretty like crazy, right? So how, how do you like get yourself into a position where you're like, you can start to address like these complex things? Because I watched the talk, right? And you talk about like crazy things. You talk about principles like cohesion versus like coupling. You talk about, you know, gap buffers. You talk about like all these things. And where did you start? Like how did all of that start? Mm-hmm. You know, like did it start with you just being like a computer science student, like learning these concepts? Was it like on the job? How do you develop that interest? If someone wants to become Leland, you know, give us like, <laughs> <laughs> give us like the roadmap. <laughs> well, so, I, I mean, I, I've never actually formally studied any computer science. Um, wow. I, I, uh, I studied math and physics in, in college and um, programming was always sort of a, a hobby of mine. And, and it was only sort of around college time for me where it started to become uh, more of a profession and and that was kind of when I really developed a love for it and uh, kind of decided to go that direction career-wise. Um, I, I will say, I mean, I, I think that like early on in my career, it was all about just building things. Uh, you know, I was very product focused and I had a um, you know, a small startup at one point and, and like, I really just liked getting my hands dirty and like building things. And, um, you know, one of the things that sort of came out of that as we started getting other employees and things like that, and it was, a it was a code base that, you know, more than just one person was touching. Um, I started caring a lot more about architecture and, uh, you know, understandability of code and maintainability and, and all, all of these other things that uh, become much more important when you're developing software that, that is iterated on for years to come and many people are, are um, you know, tweaking and, and things like that. And, and so I, I became, I guess, like obsessed with uh, building things that not only worked, but um, were sort of elegant in my mind and, and um, were, were things that other people would be able to very quickly understand and contribute to themselves without me having to walk them through the nuance of the code base and things like that. And I think that that naturally evolved. It, it wasn't really until I started working for Airbnb where I was working for a company of like more than 15 developers where um, these types of things were more and more important. And so at Airbnb, I made the choice to actually move away from products and like work on, you know, what, what they would call an infrastructure team where uh, instead of working on the product directly, I would instead build things that other developers at the company would then use to build product. And, and so that just sort of, you know, built on itself. And, and all of a sudden, you know, I, I was now taking my experience as a product, product developer and trying to figure out all of the ways that I could make everyone's life easier uh, and, and everyone who is working on product, like ha- have that be a, a delightful part of their job where 
um, it was just so easy to express what they wanted. And, and so those are the types of things that I really enjoy building APIs where, where they kind of just get out of people's way and, and then you can just build what, what you know that you want to build and you don't need to figure out how it just sort of happens. Nice. So the one thing I wanted to ask is, so when you started on this path, right, uh, we recently did like an episode on like polyglot uh, programmers. And so did you start off like with, where you said product development, right? So was it a more generic thing? Did you start off with just like any language or like whatever you needed to build a product? Or did you, after that move to a shift, uh, did you shift your focus towards mobile uh you know at like airbnb you said like the platform thing right uh, did that involve you jumping across different platforms uh yeah what are your thoughts in general about like just becoming you know a better software engineer in general like and how that relates to like different languages going deep versus like breadth uh some thoughts around that yeah that i was actually just talking to someone about this the other day but one of one of the sort of characteristics I value most in a software engineer is sort of the um, the kind of fearlessness to, to just dive into any problem um, or any, whatever it may be, you know, any code base or anything that's unfamiliar to them, uh, you know, to get something done or to learn how something works. And, um, you know, I've really noticed there, there definitely are, there are there are people that like distinctly don't have that quality and um, and like some people that just like to find their comfort zone and really stay in that um, in that spot uh, as long as they can. And as soon as as soon as something outside of that comfort zone would be like useful there, you know, they kind of um, they get stuck. And and so I I've just always been a firm believer that like, you know, if you if you want to fix something or change something um, or make something better or, or learn how something works, like just go do it and like dive in and, and, uh, and figure that out. Um, and yeah, so I, I've just tried to do that for, for most of my career. And a lot of times, um, you know, that, that starts off as just like a, a small side project or um, just like a, you know, one line change in a code base. But then all of a sudden I see, you know, 20 other things that, that might be worth doing. So I really like that idea of that fearless uh, programming thing. And to give a context, right, I think I was definitely one of those people who is like not very comfortable in like doing different things. Uh, I've told the story before, but I've been like a web programmer. I was, you know, I started out with the Java Spring development, like all that good jazz. Uh, I moved towards Rails and that itself was like, oh, like, you know, we're doing something really crazy here and let's just stick to that. It, was, it wasn't until I joined my first startup where they're like, you know Java, we have an Android app, we need someone to look at it, just do it, right? And that was so hard. Like I was almost, you know, held at gunpoint to do it because you know, <laughs> there was no option. Like you're a startup, there's like just three people. You need to help out, right? And so I think that experience, uh, also building on what you said, right? Like once you realize you can do it once, it's just like liberating. So I would encourage folks like who think like, oh yeah, I feel like this is my comfort zone. Like if you've only done mobile development, definitely, you know, that fearlessness helps. And 
I can like attest to the fact that it's only like the first time that you you have that fear. Once you break through that barrier, it tends to become easier, right? Like after that, you're like, yeah, I've done this once. Might as well try. Like, what's the worst that could happen? Yeah, well, and it's really nice to kind of demystify things. Like there there are things that you imagine as being extremely complicated or magic, and uh, as soon as you dig into the code base, you you know you realize it's you know it's just like anything else. And and once you understand it, then you know, it's like pulling back the curtain. I'll be honest with you. That's exactly how I felt about Jetpack Compose. Like, <laughs> you know, because I was like, what is this hap- Like this magic that's happening? What are they doing, right? And again, like your talk, uh, you did this really well too, by the way. Uh, you split the talk into two, right? The first half was more like, this is the API. This is how it works. Like some uh, more tactical things around like how Jetpack Compose works. But in the latter half, you talked about, and yeah, I, I liked that you prefaced that portion saying, you don't need to know this to be able to use Jetpack Compose, but knowing it is like, you know, it satisfies an intellectual curiosity. But I would also say like, just knowing how it works, like it, it the de- demystification is so important because then you feel comfortable uh, exploring the code versus just like copy pasting snippets that you find, you know, in Stack Overflow or Google, right? Yeah, definitely. I, I mean, there there's... There's sort of two camps, you know, there, there's people that will need to use Compose just because they're thrown into a situation and, mm-hmm. you know, maybe their company is using it or something like that. And, and they just want to get the job done, you know, and they don't necessarily need to understand exactly how it works or anything like that. Um, and it, it shouldn't be necessary to understand all of those details in order to use it. And, and we're really trying to make it an intuitive, un, you know, understandable API. Um, but at the same time, there's some interesting things going on and there are people that that's exactly what they crave, right? Is understanding, you know, exactly how this works and, and they want to, you know, become an expert in the area and and things like that. And, and so I, you know, at being someone who's actually working on it, I, I enjoy sort of, uh, satisfying that intellectual curiosity. And and so, I mean, some of it is selfish, but I also know that other people will definitely want to know as well. Oh, for sure, for sure. For example, like, you know, uh, just like jumping into some of the Jetpack Compose stuff, right? Like you talked about the concept of like cohesion versus coupling, right? And I loved like how you sort of explained that, like you have two modules. I have a two-part question. One is like, maybe you can like help us, like, you know, if you can just like do for our listeners a quick sort of uh, explanation around that specific idea. But also like what I'm more curious about is when you started to, where does that come from, right? Like, is this a concept you've encountered before? And then you realized, oh, that's what it is. And so I'm going to apply it with Jetpack Compose. Or like, did you go like from the get-go, which came first, right? Or was it like more like a mechanism of explaining explaining it? And you're like, oh, we have these problems to solve this problem. I'm doing this thing. And then you relate it to the idea of cohesion versus coupling. Or was it like, you know, from the get-go, I'm going to build Jetpack Compose. I know these concepts exist. This is what I want. So let's do it this way. Does that make sense? Right. Totally. Well, um, you know, it's funny. I, I didn't. I didn't fully realize this until after I gave the talk. But uh, someone mentioned that um, Pete Hunt, who was one of the people who uh, was instrumental early on in the React community. Um, gave a talk on on exactly these concepts, and I, I remembered the talk, and um, and I remember when I saw that talk for the first time, it was it was one of the most fundamental shifts in my thinking um, since since I had like you know started programming, 
and uh, and so it really stuck with me. And it, the, those sort of concepts and ways of thinking have been something that I've sort of been using in my daily uh, sort of uh, list of jargon, you know, that that I that I use when when explaining or talking to things about uh, other people about about programming and. Um, and so one of the things that was important for React early on was kind of explaining how this doesn't necessarily, this type of programming doesn't necessarily fly in the face of some of these uh, like established patterns and, and practices such as separation of concerns. And so he did a really good job of explaining that. And um, I kind of emulated that here in this talk, which was uh, really kind of showing that separation of concerns is, is really about um, this balance between coupling and cohesion. And, uh, and that, that that may be a less confusing way to phrase it um, and to think about it. Because what, uh, and actually I think I mentioned this last time I was, I was on this, this podcast, but, um, you know, I think it's easy to uh, fall into this trap where you think that just because something is in a different file that it is separate. Um, and that, in my opinion, is is one of the things that, that's happening right now in, uh, in the Android ecosystem with uh, XML layout files and, you know, very, which are, which may be very intertwined with UI related logic that happens in separate files that are, you know, Java or Kotlin files. Um, and I think that this happens quite often once you reach uh, any sort of realistic level of complexity in an app, um, you're going to have a, a fair amount of UI related logic that you're going to write in code, um, be that Java or Kotlin, and you're going to start tweaking things that that happen in your layout file. And the the like sort of previous um, kind of way of thinking was that well, those are separate concerns. You know, defining your layout and tweaking your layout are are separate concerns, and they're really not. Uh, there might be business-related logic that that ought to be separated in terms of the UI and presenting that that um, or presenting that that like business-related data and some of the business-related logic like that that separation is natural and good, um, but there's some logic that's just naturally UI-related logic, and what happens is the uh, you end up getting a lot of coupling between uh, these different things. So your layout file and your activity file maybe or, um, or something like that. And so the, the general premise is that instead of thinking of uh, separating your concerns, um, one way to, to think about it instead is to minimize the amount of coupling, implicit coupling or explicit in your app and in increase the amount of cohesion or maximize the amount of cohesion. And so cohesion can kind of be defined as like the, these, these sort of bits of, of logic that kind of naturally fit together. They're cohesive as a unit. And, um, and so those, those things can kind of be coupled in their own little corner of, uh, you know, a programming unit, which I like used module as the word, 
Um, and then you end up minimizing the amount of sort of dependencies between these things by having these well-defined units of cohesive logic. And um, what, what I have found is that this declarative component-based uh, programming model ends up making that really, really easy. Um, and this is like one of those things that it's sort of hard to explain to people if they haven't written like an application of, of size um, in this style. But uh, you start to get this real like, I don't know, natural sense of like where these lines of separation should be drawn between these different components. And the, the, I, I think almost the more important thing is that when you do it this way, when you're using code to write all of these units, like the, there's not this, um, there's not this like forced upon layer of separation that is brought by the actual language or technology you're using. And so if like everything is in Kotlin, for instance, um, then it is really easy to refactor those lines of separation and to move one bit of logic into another bit of, of logic and, and using the kind of uh, units of abstraction that programming languages already provide you, um, and namely the, the function, right? Um, so Compose is built almost entirely out of functions, and it, like that ends up being an incredibly useful primitive to to create these lines of separation uh, very, very easily. And uh, more importantly, making refactoring those lines of separation just as easy. And, and that's like, I think one of the, that kind of in a nutshell is like one of the reasons I think this programming model is so delightful when whenever you start using it. Is there a- was there a particular point in your career where you kind of had the aha moment about kind of everything you just explained? Was there an experience, uh, a platform or anything like that that you worked with where you're kind of like, wow, this is this is the way it should be done? Or was it just kind of something you uh, evaluated or developed over time? Um, I'm not sure there was like an aha moment, but it was... Uh, I mean, definitely if you have written a few apps like in this style, uh, the second you try to go back, you just feel, uh, I mean, it feels like your, your legs have been chopped off underneath you. It's like, the, <laughs> it's like, how do you, how do you do this any other way? It's, it's so much better. Um, but yeah, I don't know. I, I, I think that, uh, I've been involved in, in like a lot of refactorings of doing things in one style and moving to the style and, and, uh, a lot of code review and things like that, that, um, I, you know, maybe has allowed me to stress that muscle and, and, and grow it over time. But uh, yeah, I don't know. React Native is like one of those things that like opened this up, right? A lot of like what we see today, like with the whole uh, reactive sort of like models like stemmed mm-hmm. from that idea, right? So I feel like that was definitely an interesting sort of uh, jumping off point for a lot of us. Uh, going back to what you said, just a quick follow-up, like that was the thing that really got me interested, right? Because the concept you mentioned of mixing UI and uh, mixing you're mixing UI logic inside like your core business logic, right? Uh, it was funny because 
I remember, I don't know if it was like live data or view bindings. It's one of them. But I remember like when that happened, like there was a big outcry, right? Because people were like, oh my God, we're mixing the two. We're mixing business logic with uh, view logic, right? And I mean, for like different reasons, we won't, into, we won't dive into that. But I noticed a similar sort of argument being brought up with Jetpack Compose, right? Where they're like, wait, aren't we like mixing the two things together? Uh, but I think like you put it well, right? Like, A, there is the actual language sort of, a difference like writing in xml versus writing in kotlin and it makes decoupling easier if it's all in the same language like there's no doubt about that right like working with one language versus working with another and then again it's the same thing if you use your core units like you have like functions using functions using a lot of that stuff it is yeah i think in the end it's like a business model right like it is uh, it is a mindset uh not a business model it's a mindset that you adapt to like improve your code as against you know, just having like a dogmatic approach saying like, nope, not going to mix this, not going to have this. Uh, yeah, I did think that was pretty interesting, at least at that point. So it, another thing I wanted to ask is like, there's like these concepts, right? Like there's, uh, and I know there isn't necessarily a definition for this, like the reactive sort of mode. But in your talk, you also talked about the idea of like having a declarative a, a declarative style of building logic which is what like jetpack compose is like aiming towards uh versus the traditional form which uh, is like imperative right i want to ask what your thoughts were about like the style of building things right like declarative versus imperative the last time i heard like a lot a, a big conversation around this was a lot around the whole functional versus like imperative aspect right so where does all that fit in uh yeah, I mean, Can you one, one tell thing us a that, about I, that? Like, what are your I like to that? try and point out is that um, imperative is not a bad word, right? Like, mm. I, I think that the there's a tendency for people to get really excited about these types of frameworks. And, you know, we call them declarative, which is, you know, for the most part, correct. Um, but I think that people start associating, oh, declarative good, imperative bad. And I don't think that's necessarily true or how you should be thinking about it. Um, you know, declarative, one way to think about declarative versus imperative is that declarative is, is like strictly less things to describe. Um, the, there's, if something is declarative, you're leaving, you're leaving, uh, this sort of how left up to the framework to decide. Whereas in an imperative style, you, it's it's much more um, like the framework saying, I'm not, I'm not smart, I'm letting you do, you tell me exactly how to do it. Um, and, and so when, when you have a declarative system, you're uh, kind of by definition, you're giving up some control, you're relinquishing some control of how something happens uh, to the underlying system. And sometimes that dramatically simplifies uh, how, how you write the code, which is good. Uh, but other times it makes implementing very nuanced things more difficult. Um, and, and so this is like one of those things, like animation is something where um, it, it can be very difficult to describe certain animations in a declarative system because one of the things that, that a declarative UI framework is typically doing is saying, I'm going to take care of the state transitions for you. So you just tell me what state A is in state B and I'll, I'll, I'll figure out how to update everything to be in state B now. And which is great, but a lot of times you want to animate from state A to state B. And so, so then the system has to allow you to, 
to specify exactly how it's doing that thing where the whole point earlier was to not tell it how to do that thing. Um, and so that's like one of the one of the challenges is, is there there are certain pockets of UI development that actually end up being harder in a declarative system. And so we have to think really hard about the right APIs to expose to allow people to do those things when they need to, um, but not removing or, or like. Uh, you know, going back on all the gains that we had made in making the common case so much simpler. That makes sense. That makes sense. Another question I had around like the talk that you gave, right? Uh, and this was something that's just out of curiosity. You mentioned this whole data structure called gap buffers, right? Uh, we probably won't go into like the details because explaining that is probably something that's best done either just watching the talk or like reading a blog post or something. So we'll make sure to add links to that. Mm-hmm. The question I had around that was like you mentioned you didn't necessarily have a uh, computer science background, right? So when you started to implement Jetpack Compose, right? Is that something that you just like researched and found out, oh, this is like something that text editors use and therefore like, let me try to see if this works? Or was it more around, you know, you knew of this concept already and then you're like, oh, that's like the perfect idea uh, for this. Like, how do, how, do, how do you think about these things? Because a question I find sometimes uh, thinking, right, is like when I'm coming up with like the implementation or something, usually I'm like, well, is there a data structure for this? Should I go research this? Or should I just start off with something and then gradually as I get a better understanding, maybe then I can start looking. How, how did you approach that specifically for Jetpack Compose, right? Did you always know that, okay, Gap offers is something I want to use? Or uh, I know it's like specific, but I'm hoping that the answer can help us understand how to approach these kind of problems. Yeah. Uh, well, so I, I guess one thing that's very important to to bring up is is that I am I am not a sole developer building Jetpack Compose on my own or anything like that. And so there are a lot <laughs> yeah, of people working on Compose um, that do have computer science backgrounds and mm. are very very smart. Um, and this is one particular example where I, uh, when I started working on Jetpack Compose, I didn't know what a gap buffer was. A, a colleague of mine, uh, Chuck Jazduski, um, who's uh, brilliant, um, we we were he's he's one of the the three people that that are on the um, uh, compiler and runtime team with me. And uh, I like my initial implementation of the the runtime was backed sort of by a like a linked list like approach, um, which is very similar to how, uh, for instance, uh, React and Flutter uh, work. And so we had this implementation and. Uh, we were just talking because we were, while that underlying implementation was kind of the same, um, our overall API surface is, has some pretty staggering differences between uh, other other frameworks like, like React and SwiftUI and Flutter and things like that. And so Chuck was kind of the one that, that first made the realization that, hey, if we used a gap buffer, a lot of this... Uh, like a, a gap buffer would actually work very, very well in in this type of uh, in this type of approach. And um, when he first mentioned it, I was like, I don't even know what that is. 
sucks. So, so you need to explain it to me. Um, and then he kind of explained to me how it would work. And I like, you know, it was, I was just immediately like, Oh, this is awesome. Like that would be, that would be really cool. And then, you know, he went and sort of implemented the, the first implementation of, you know, what has kind of lived on to today uh, of the runtime uh, that is backed by this gap buffer like data structure. And it was one of, I mean, I, I, I don't know if it was, I, we weren't on AOSP yet. So um, I don't know if the, the CL is, is in the commit history or anything, but it was one of the most beautiful uh, commits I've ever l- looked at. <laughs> so it's, um, but yeah, I mean, so I, you know, I, I don't have a computer science background. I am, I'm someone who, you know, can definitely nerd out and, and look at, uh, a lot of things like this and, and, and read up on things and, and maybe, you know, I can make those leaps, but that, that doesn't mean that, um, that this this type of background is isn't important, and these are exactly the types of things where uh, someone's background and experience, like Chuck, um, was incredibly valuable to the project overall. So that's a good learning, you know. Surround yourself with smart people. <laughs> well, what are your thoughts on like mentorship and like trying to find people who, you know, yeah, how like how do you find the people who help you learn more, you know? Yeah, that, I mean that's a great question. Um, I don't have like a great answer to it. I don't think. Uh, I, I think that whenever I have found people that are really good and smart and intelligent, I I try to uh, work with them. <laughs> you know, like, but but as far as finding them, I don't think that's like an easy thing to do. Um, you know, some some of the people at, at Google are are incredibly talented. Um, and uh, and so you know Google's a, a great company to go and find those people at, um, but they're I assure you they're they're not just at Google they're uh, all over the place. So yeah, absolutely. You don't want to take like too much of your time, but I would be completely remiss if I didn't ask this question, right? Uh, what is the state of Jetpack Compose today, right? Uh, I've seen like a lot of demos, and I'll also throw this. I, I'm sure you looked at it too, uh, Leland. But did you see like the Doom Fire recreation thing that someone did in Jetpack Compose? Yeah, yeah, I did. <laughs> so like that that was interesting. So I do see a lot of Jetpack Compose being used in the wild. Obviously, I know like you've mentioned that it isn't prime time ready yet, right? But what exactly is the state of Jetpack Compose today, right? Like, uh, how much of it can you like let us know? Like, is this something that we should start like looking at? Should we start building like toy applications on the side with the Jetpack Compose? Like, what are your thoughts around how we should be looking at you know the progress of Jetpack Compose? Yeah, it's a good question. I mean, definitely since the last time we talked, uh, a, a ton of progress ha- has been made, and and the overall shape of a lot of APIs ha- has changed dramatically. Um, and that's actually, I, I mean, it's a, it's a pretty cool thing to be able to say. Um, we we open source compose at, at a very early state. And it's been uh, really, really helpful to the overall progress of Compose because we, we no longer have to um, sort of ideate in a vacuum. And uh, a little while ago um, at, at ADS, I guess, uh, we started this developer preview program where we uh, actually went ahead and put uh, releases of Compose in the state that it was in on Maven uh, so that people could start playing with it. And um, 
and so since since we've done that, we've uh, we've started doing uh, releases every two weeks, uh, which is like a pretty healthy cadence, I think. Um, and also, you can there are ways that you can try uh, compose at any any snapshot build of of compose in, in the public. So you you can really go directly to master if you want. But it's been really helpful because there's this small cohort of of people these early adopters who have really started using compose in in big ways uh despite you know the the fact that it's in a dev preview and and they you know they know that i mean these are people that are willing to uh every two weeks go through a small migration process from all of the breaking changes that we've made um you know which are are is a we're very lucky to have uh, these types of dedicated early adopters. Um, but it's also been extremely helpful as a, a channel for free feedback. And a lot of the changes that we've made have um, have been from direct feedback that we've received uh, from people trying Compose out. And it's been really fun to see that kind of uh, change and also like see people kind of following along and and seeing just like how their understanding of everything changes and uh, certain API choices where people get really excited and, mm-hmm. and stuff like that's just been uh, been really awesome to, to see. That's awesome. And the current state of Jetpack Compose, like, is that still like to be decided? Do you feel like the APIs are still like going, undergoing some change uh, before uh, prime time? Yeah, so uh, Jetpack Compose is still uh, in a developer preview mode, and um, really until until we hit beta, it, uh, yeah. there you can expect that there will be a healthy amount of breaking changes regularly. Right, right. Um, and that's that's just really important because we're you know we're talking about a very large API surface area. Uh, where uh, us being able to get this feedback in and make changes without as much ceremony around those changes uh, really helps us get it into a state where all of the users that that do start using it at, at the beta state, uh, they're going to have a much, much more polished product to, to be able to use. Oh, for sure. Yeah. I mean, it's just like even like looking at the talk, right? You're basically trying to build the equivalent of like text view, constraint layouts, like like yeah. list views, all that stuff. I imagine it would take some time to like get there. But even so, I think that's the important question I feel that a lot of us want answered is like, when do I know that it's okay to start using Jetpack Compose, right? Because a lot of us going in uh, to like our organizations now, like we're super excited about Jetpack Compose, but obviously using Jetpack Compose now in a production app is definitely not a good idea, right? At least like, that's definitely my opinion. You want it to at least to reach uh, beta before you even consider it. And even then, like, you know, depending on like your use case and applications, you want to be extremely careful, right? But so I think that's like really helpful to know that, okay, you know, when it hits beta, that's when you can really start playing with this and start using it, right? Uh, so that's good to know. Yeah, definitely. And I, I don't have anything uh, sort of new to announce or add uh, in, in terms of timeline, but, um, yeah. you know, you, you can go and look at, at the the changes we're making and, and, and the team's working working very hard and, and uh, there's a lot of really good stuff coming in. So we'll uh, definitely let you know when, when it is ready. <laughs> <laughs> 
that's awesome leland uh thank you so much again for your time today this is like you know this is always so much fun mm-hmm. yeah thank you this was a blast if folks want to like pepper you with more questions uh what's a good way to do that yeah so i haven't been as active on twitter lately but i i still uh, will be pretty responsive if, if uh if you message me on twitter that that's probably a, a quick way to get my attention um, so my, my Twitter handle is at Intelligibabble. We will make sure to throw like that in our show notes as well. But Don, if folks want to see what you're up to uh, during this period, what's a good place to do that? The best place is going to be on Instagram or on Twitter. Same handle, just Don Felker. And what about you, Kaushik? How can they get a hold of you? I am Kaushik Gopal on Twitter and on Instagram and most other places. Fantastic. Thank you all so much for listening. We will catch you in the next episode. I'd like to take this chance and thank the sponsor for this episode, Educative.io. There are a lot of websites out there that offer programming courses, but Educative.io has a really special text-based interface that helps folks learn faster and more efficiently. Check out the very new course they have for Android developers called Modern Android App Development. If you use the special link we have here, educative.io slash fragmented, then you get an additional 10% off your purchase. So remember to use that special link. Once again, it's educative.io slash fragmented. Thanks again for sponsoring the show. That's it for the show, folks. Fragmented is hosted by Don Felker and me, Kaushik Gopal. We edit and produce all the episodes here on Fragmented. Sarah the Amazing Jackson from the Spec Network helps with production assistance and wraps our final mix. Our theme and ad music is by the national recording artist Blueprint from Weightless Recordings. You can find more Fragmented episodes at fragmentedpodcast.com. Thanks for listening, and we will catch you in the next episode.